When was the last time you hung out with your friend without looking at your phone? When was the last time you had a family dinner and didn't have to ask your child to leave their iPad out of sight? Let me guess, it's been a while. Today, we will discuss the complex ways technology affects our lives, our personality, and our happiness. He received his PhD from Oxford University and is today a world-renowned scholar who researches technology's influence on our lives. His groundbreaking books serve as a basis for understanding the virtues and vices of the Internet and highlight ways in which we can maximize on the former while minimizing the latter. So let's meet the person who can show us how to use technology to enhance the quality of our life to actually make us happier. Yair, welcome to Happier Talk. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here. Well, I want to start actually with a quote from your book, Technology and Psychological Well-Being. Um, you write here the following. You write, policymakers, academics, and web designers have a responsibility to work together to explore ways in which to enhance the positive impact of the internet on well-being. Say more about that. Technology is not good or bad. Technology is what we do with it. And I think we have a responsibility to be proactive. We, we, ha we can design technology in a way that it will enhance our well-being. And I think academics have to realize it's not only about doing research. It's about cooperating with the industry to create a new internet that will enhance our well-being. You know, I think in, in general I'm 100% I'm with you in terms of the fact that academics need to go out there and, you know, deal with the real world. So tell me, so what kind of research are you doing or what kind of research are others doing uh, in the area of the Internet and well-being? There are many uh, research studies uh, all around the world. I mean, the, the Internet now is uh, attracting a lot of academics and uh, we're doing uh, research almost in every field that uh, is relevant to our life. For example, love, intimacy. We, we learn how the internet is affecting our uh, relationship with people. How do we build uh, friendship? How do we actually uh, create intimacy in a world where you have to share everything with everyone? And uh, we're trying to give people advice how to do it properly. People nowadays live in the online world. I mean, we used to ask people, when are you online? Now you have to ask people, when are you offline? <laughs> so, so it has a great impact, especially with young people that are born to the internet. You know, they don't know any other reality. And uh, the problem is that all the concepts are getting new meanings, like, for example, friendship. I mean, we used to think about friendship, uh, you know, judging it according to its quality. Now you see it's about quantity. Uh, the kids nowadays, they, they collect uh, friends like stamps and they believe that they have real friendship. And we have the responsibility to teach them that you can't get actually the, the psychological benefits if you don't have real uh, friends, if you don't invest in the friendship. Are there any, uh, any benefits to having online friends or is it just um, something, okay, nice to have but no, no psychological uh, value? 
It's basically about the, the larger cycle of friends. It's, it's great to have the Facebook. You can inform the world what is happening to you once in a while. But it's not actually taking the place of the, the small group, the core group of friends that you have to be with them, you have to invest in the friendship, and then uh, you get the benefits. So it's great, but it's not actually replacing the old friendship. Yeah, so, so in a way what you're saying is that uh, we can use um the, uh, the online relationships to facilitate real interactions. So for, you know, I have a personal example. My sister met her wonderful husband uh, online, but the relationship is not online now. The relationship is real. So maybe as, as, as a stepping stone toward intimacy. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to, to, to see it because we also did a lot of studies about introverts. I mean, the internet can help people that are very shy to do the first step mm -hmm. because you are protected. You, you interact with the other side, you know, from your home environment. So you can, you can feel and you can build the relationship very, very slowly. And then when you're ready, you move on and you meet the people. So there are advantages, obviously. But do you find that people actually go beyond that first step or do they mostly stay in this first step, which is their comfort zone? which is being uh, the, um, the online relationship. That's an example of the responsibility that we have. We have to encourage people. We have to, uh, to let them know that that's the first step. We have to tell young people, we have to teach young people that, it, that it's only a step, it's only one of the channels, but the main channel is actually the face-to-face -face channel. That's the channel that helps you to de develop EQ, that, the, the, that helps you to develop your ability to, to understand the other person and him to understand you. So it's great to have the Facebook, but it's not instead. You know, one sentence that I often repeat uh, to my students, to myself, is that you know, 1,000 friends on Facebook uh, is no substitute for, for that one best friend. And, um, and, 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 and that's important. Now, um, there's a lot of research showing that there's a correlation between the amount of time we spend online and our loneliness. And yet, people stay online. Why is that? You know, it seems like if people feel lonely when they're online, the more they're online, they would, they would actually tend to, to stay off it more. So what, what is the, the, the addictive component to it, or, or why do you think that that perpetuates itself? What's happening is that it's actually fun, and it's very protected, and you, you can feel that you can express yourself the way you want and no one will really challenge you. There's a feeling of equality and uh, it empowers people. It creates an illusion of real empowerment. So people that have a challenge to move on and you know, to meet the world face to face, sometimes say, why should I? It, it's, it's good enough, I'm very happy, I, I, I have uh, you know, friends, and they want to buy this illusion of having a thousand friends. It's, it's a very easy one. That's actually part of our responsibility as academics, as the educators, to, to explain kids that it's not instead, it doesn't replace the real friendship. So are there actual prescriptions? I mean, can you say to your kid, you know, I have a, an 11-year-old kid, can, can I tell him, you know, David, I think uh, one hour is enough or three hours is, is too much? I mean, wh what is the, uh, the, the right amount, if there is such amount? I don't think there is a right amount. I think what you have to uh, analyze is how his 
online activity is affecting uh, other things that he has to do in life. So, for example, you know, does he function socially? Does he go out? Does, is he part of a, of a group? Does he play outside? Does he do his homework? Or, or does he wake up in the morning and he is really totally finished because last night he spent all the time interacting and, and surfing the net and things like that? And I think that the most important thing is that we will uh, provide the kids with the knowledge that the internet is uh, a channel that is actually not replacing, it's an important one, but not replacing anything from the old world. And the old world is all about intimacy, real, real intimacy, real friendship, investing face to face. Uh, this kind of shallow uh, relationship that now we see more and more, uh, the kids uh, actually do not act get the, the psychological benefits. They, when, when they are needy, when they need this real friend, they don't find him. So, so the question is, what are the, uh, the benefits of the, of, of the Internet? So you talked about the fact for introverts, you know, be, being one, I know that it's very comfortable for me to, you know, to write emails or to write letters, where sometimes a face-to-face -face interaction would be more difficult, certainly the beginning of a relationship. So, so I get that. Um, in addition, uh, the, the sense of, of empowerment that, that you were talking about, feeling uh, you know, capable, that you are interacting and you're seeing uh, other people and, uh, and you're listened to. What, what other benefits, potential benefits, are there to the Internet? Uh, I think that's uh, part of the complexity. The Internet has fantastic uh, advantages in every field, and the bad and the good are mixed. This is one, uh, one of the reasons why uh, we, we, I called my last book The Good, the Bad and the Ugly uh, in the Online World because the good can very easily become bad. It's about how much are you using it. So nowadays we, we see a lot of people doing good things but uh, you know when they do it all the time it becomes bad. So I mean let's look uh, uh, on uh, one of the interesting fields, online volunteering. Mm. Nowadays, the internet gives you this kind of passport. You are part of, uh, you are a citizen of the global world. And it has, uh, you know, it comes with a responsibility. And you can see a lot of online volunteering projects that are amazing, that are amazing. You know, a, a boy in Canada created an online project that helps kids in Zambia. And that's part of, uh, of the internet is, is great, that you suddenly realize that you are part of this global world and what's happening there is very relevant to you. And of course we know all the research on volunteering and giving. There is a lot of benefit to giving. In fact, one of the best ways to boost our levels of well-being is by helping other people. So, so, so that's great. That, that's great and when we look at on, on Maslow, the, the hierarchy, the need hierarchy, we know that the top is the self-actualization and, and, and that's actually the best way to get your self-actualization. And the thing that is amazing about online volunteering is that every talent or skill that you have is relevant to someone somewhere in the world. And also you don't have any more the excuse that you have to you know, block this uh, chunk of time. If, even if you have five minutes, ten, half an hour, you can do something with it on the online. So everyone can actually be part of it. And then this feeling that you are part of this entire global village is very powerful. And I think that something very, uh, you know, that, that is very, something very positive about the internet. And then you have a, a lot of other aspects. Like, for example, you, you can see now old people 
can uh, recreate their life. They don't have to, you know, count the minutes till, you know, uh, you know, uh, till they'll die and all this stuff. They, they can, they can create new relationships. They can be relevant. They can even, uh, you know, find a new uh, a partner to. Uh, it's, it's, it, it is quite amazing, and I think that's. Uh, it's all about the balance, the balance between the offline world and the online world. So you're saying also when it comes to volunteering, for example, that volunteering online should not be a substitute for volunteering and doing good uh, outside uh, no, the Internet. No, it, it, should, it should actually be, it should become t uh, something integrated together. I think that the internet creates a, a very strong feeling that, that we have a responsibility, that we are citizens of the global world, and that's great. And now you have to move on, now you have to walk the talk, and, right. and, and uh, the internet can be the first step. I think a lot about um, the internet and what it means for education. You know, in a way, you know, I think about Happier TV, and uh, I hope that it provides a platform for uh, educating people towards leading uh, happier lives. Uh, I think about the large online courses, the MOOC courses. Uh, I think about online degrees that are available today. Wh wh where do you think that's going? And again, what are the, um, what are the advantages and disadvantages, the upsides and the downsides of, uh, of going in that direction? I think that what's happening is challenging the entire educational system because the internet is fun and the internet is the biggest library ever existed. And uh, a teacher can't actually come anymore to a class and present the total knowledge because a kid in, in one second can, uh, you know, can get more information than uh, that uh, teacher has in, uh, in his head. The thing is that now it's again about face-to-face -face interaction. It's about uh, the teacher uh, getting the kids involved in, in this experience where he takes responsibility and he's acting actually becoming an example in what he does. And he, he, he helps them to create this integration of all the resources that they have. And I think that what's going to happen is that we're going to have virtual uh, reality. We're going to have a geography lesson where you'll be able to speak with Vasco da Gama, with Christopher Columbus, and they're going to present the material in, in such a way. And also the, the, the system, the, the, the technology will be able to study your abilities and to give you a feedback that fits you personally. Above everything, you'll need the teacher. The teacher, they mm. will take responsibility. They will see how you do it. That will interact with you face to face. We need the teachers. The There's human no... touch. Exactly. But, but we have to create a good in, uh, integration. Technology is not replacing the teacher, but the teacher has to know and learn his new role in this system. One of the ideas that has been floating around for, the, for, for a while now is that uh, technology is becoming more sophisticated, more advanced, and it, that it will soon be able to replace almost one for one the need for real relationships. So we'll have robots that will look, feel, interact in the same way as human beings. And not only that, they will uh, be conflict-free. They'll do exactly what we want them to do when we want them to do it. Um, so wh where do you see that going? Are you at, at all concerned about that? I, I am concerned because uh, people want to have uh, everything here and now, and sometimes they forget about the process uh, to achieve something. And it's very, 
I mean, uh, if you think about it, you'll be able not only to design the psychological profile of your future uh, partner, but also to design her physically. And this will be a perfect world. I mean, all our fantasies uh, will be able to materialize in this robot or whatever. She will not age, and not only that, when you've had enough of her look, you can change her look. Absolutely. It's, uh, it will be a total fantasy. Um, but you won't get happiness there, because happiness is about, uh, you know, striving. It's about a process. It's about uh, challenging your paradigms. I mean, you, when we deal with someone that is challenging, we actually develop. It is something that gives us real happiness when we achieve something. When everything is given to us just mm -hmm. like that, you won't actually experience happiness. And I think that, that uh, by providing this illusion of happiness, we will get further and further from, from real happiness. Mm. No, it's interesting. Uh, David Schnarch, who's a relationship uh, psychologist, says that marriage is a people-growing machine. And by the way, I think the same thing of uh, children. Raising children is a people-growing machine. And largely because it's challenging, largely because it's not easy, largely because we have these uh, conflicts and gridlocks and, uh, and disagreements. And if you could design your you know, perfect, quote unquote, uh, wife or, or partner, um, you wouldn't have to go through that process. And it's also about the whole world, the way we see it. Uh, I mean, there's now uh, the ability to create this anti-social uh, network where the people you don't like, you will never meet them. Uh, you know, the, the computer will tell you, don't go that street because you're going to meet someone. Mm. But life is about being able to integrate, to create something new. I mean, when, when you meet only people that are exactly like you, I mean, this will be a very problematic world. We, we grow as, as we challenge our paradigms and our ability to accommodate, to, to, to create an integration, this fantastic puzzle of sometimes contradictions. We know, you know, when you work in a team, you don't want to duplicate yourself. The, the whole idea about working in a team is to learn from people mm -hmm. and to appreciate that you can't cover all different abilities. You need other people. And that's something that, that we have to, to teach people, that, that this kind of technology would harm our ability to develop, to achieve real self-actualization and real happiness. Yeah, and the, and the challenge here is that it's about taking the long-term rather than the short-term view, because the immediate gratification will come from um, someone agreeing with you or from that, that robot. Um, but if we look long term, we realize that we need, we need something else to, to really grow to experience what you call you know, real or authentic happiness. Yeah, and if you think about it, we have already the seeds in the Facebook uh, culture. I mean, all, all this like uh, culture. What does it mean like? Okay, why not to challenge someone's idea? We create these kind of very close groups that everyone agrees with each other and everyone is happy and everyone is pretending that uh, this is not real challenge. We, we need sometimes disagreements. We need someone to challenge our, our opinion. This is how you go. You grow by being challenged and you also grow by being real. And you talked uh, about pretending. There's a lot of pretense on Facebook, you know, the kind of pictures that I, the, that, that I put on, the, the kind of posts. Um, what is that doing to people's happiness when, when they see this, you know, fantasy world or partial world? It creates the opposite of happiness. 
because when everyone pretends to be happy and you start uh, you know doubting your own happiness and uh, this kind of getting everyone excited and selling ev everything basically of no privacy uh, I, I just uh, a few months ago I was amazed this guy was uh, driving in a car with his uh, future uh, wife and he was putting posts uh, on Facebook, you know, photos while it was uh, in the last minute. And not only putting the photos, but he got feedback and then he started answering, wait a second, here you are in the most intimate moment in your, uh, in your entire life and now you have to share it with everyone, that's happiness. And you can see nowadays on Facebook, everyone has to sell their happiness. But in a minute that you sell the most, most intimate moment with someone else, with the whole world, you lose intimacy. That's not intimacy. So there's no happiness there. Mm -hmm. And we know that people that are searching the net and looking at other people's profiles, it actually lowers their self-esteem. Because everyone's doing great, except for me, because I know how I'm really feeling. But here is the problem. You know, Facebook is not going anywhere. It's probably going to be here for, for a good while. How, how, how do I deal with it? How, how can I educate my children or students to, to better deal with it so that they can attain uh, uh, authentic happiness in their lives? There are um, lots of ways to do it. They are all very demanding, I mean, especially young people. Uh, one way is to say, I'm not using the Facebook 24 hours a day. I'm putting it aside. I'm meeting friends. I have a real relationship with people. And, uh, and, and I know what real quality is. And when I'm online, I have to understand that this is actually a fake world. I have to know, I have to realize, I have to assimilate into my brain that this is one channel. And I have to, uh, to create a real balance in my life. I have to have real friends and real relationships and real intimacy. And then, you know, I would put, uh, uh, you know, uh, Facebook uh, in the right corner where it deserves and use it properly. There's no, no shortcuts, and that's why I'm calling to academics uh, and people uh, dealing with uh, educating the young people to work together because it is a challenge, because there are so many things that are very attempting, very powerful for the young people, and they want to buy this illusion, but it is an illusion. You know, it's very challenging for parents. You know, I must say my kids are not yet on Facebook, uh, but, they, but they are consuming technology and, and we limit uh, technology time at home and my kids time and time again would say it's not fair because our friend uh, can use it as much as as they want and uh, you know I find it's 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 going against uh, against the current and it's uh, it's it's unfortunate that it has to be that way and this is why I think uh, schools should be talking about it it should be the responsibility first and foremost of parents but also schools, educators, as you say, you know, academics and policymakers should should get into this conversation at the very least. Absolutely, uh, I think that uh, it's very difficult for a child that finds himself the only one not using Facebook. And he doesn't know what's happening around. Uh, it's difficult. It's difficult for you as, as as a parent to explain the child because from his point of view, wh what's happening here? Why can't I interact like everyone else? Uh, I don't know what's happening tomorrow night. Uh, it is challenging. I, again, I think that we have to create alternatives. Uh, at, the long, in, at the long term, we know that it's the best for our kids. They would be able to create 
uh, an internal locus of control. They would rely on themselves, on what they believe that is true. They won't actually, uh, you know, be slaves of the role models of, our, of the society. They would be able to create their own power, and that's very important. So in the long term, they would gain. And hopefully, I think slowly and gradually, we get more and more parents that are becoming aware that there is a challenge here, and they change, they shift. They try to work with the kids on some kind of, uh, you know, uh, way that uh, that that this channel, uh, the Facebook, or and the entire social network and the internet would be only part uh, of what they're doing. There's no other. There are no shortcuts, and that's what where I call to proactivity. To achieve your happiness, you have to be proactive. To be proactive in a digital world, it means that you have to master technology and not being mastered by it. Mm. Yes, not to be the slave of the, yep. the technology. So where is all this going? I mean, it seems like uh, technology is becoming more and more uh, part of our lives. I is it going to a good place? Uh, it doesn't seem to me that way. Uh, it doesn't necessarily. We don't know where it's going. But obviously, currently, it, it looks like it's not going in a good direction. Uh, we have to teach our kids in the same way that we teach them swimming. We have to teach them uh, digital literacy. We have to teach them uh, digital skills. And this is our responsibility. And the responsibility means that we have to educate our kids to be able to swim, to have a GPS in this digital jungle, because it is a jungle. And by ignoring our responsibility, we are taking part, we are becoming, we are cooperating with this negative uh, tendency. There's no, no shortcuts. But w what does this actually mean? So I understand you're talking about uh, the idea of moderation. So limit uh, uh, screen time, uh, tell them about the fact that this is not a real world, you know, what, what, what they see on, uh, on, on the internet, the web. W what else does uh, a digital literacy look like? We, we're now working with UNESCO. We are creating this group of academics and uh, people from the industry and UNESCO to create a better uh, internet. We, we believe that, uh, for example, that uh, we, ha we want to know what's happening with the information we're giving. We want to know that we, uh, we have real privacy. We want to know that when we get to a website, the information given by this website is actually accurate. So we want to create this kind of quality standard that uh, websites that uh, are providing uh, people with everything happening, with all the information, what they're doing with the, uh, with the information, that are actually implementing uh, uh, um, components of uh, positive well-being into the website. For example, you know, if this website is uh, aimed for all people, that it's actually giving them the ability to hear uh, the text to to uh, to increase uh, the fonts and all this stuff. Uh, every every area would have uh, specific uh, you know rules and and requirements that only after the website would obey and would uh, implement these rules we would give them this quality standard. So the the stamp of approval. Yes. So it's sort of like uh, on on a larger scale, but an, an accreditation body, just like. Um, you know, anyone can, can call themselves a university, but if you want to be an accredited degree-granting institution, you have to go through certain hoops. Exactly, and we want in every field to have, uh, to have this kind of requirements that uh, the website that wants to get this quality standard 
would have to obey uh, and, and implement all these uh, uh, requirements. It's not easy. There are a lot of people involved and we have to agree, but I think that we can reverse the negative things that are happening. We can, uh, we can try to create an alternative to Facebook. We can try to create uh, an internet that is actually providing more uh, accurate information. And, and these things are very important. The, the, the internet and the digital world is moving so fast that we are chasing it all the time. And I think that by working together, we, we have a chance to do it properly. Having UNESCO and having uh, leading academics and having, having a lot of people in the industry. And also in the industry you have nowadays voices that, that realize that there are harms, real danger thing, uh, dangerous things happening there. Having all these people together, we hope they will be able to create uh, a better internet. Mm -hmm. um, what else would uh, digital literacy uh, entail? Uh, the most uh, important thing, in, in my opinion, is the ability to analyze messages, critical thinking. Critical thinking is very important. If you think about it, uh, when we were kids, uh, you used to get exposed to ads some, somewhere, sometimes. Nowadays, uh, in the uh, online world, you are exposed to these uh, ads all the time. And uh, they're so sophisticated. If you think about it, the big brother knows about you know, uh, m more than you know about yourself. And, and this is actually one of the, the biggest dangers of, of, of the online world. The ability to analyze you and to send you messages that sometimes don't even look like they're trying to, you know, to, trying to change your opinion or get you to buy a product or service. They're very sophisticated. And this is where we have to, first of all, we have to have a policy, we have to have regulations about what is allowed to do with our information, and we have to have critical thinking. We have to have kids uh, from an early, early stage learning how to analyze messages and being able to resist. I, th I think this is a great idea, and I think it can also help them in general be uh, better thinkers, you know, in the... Um, you will not need in the, in the future um, mindless work. You know, robots will do it, technology will do it. You'll, you'll need critical thinkers, creative thinkers. So, you know, it, it will be a win-win if you teach them how to be more analytical and critical about ads in the, in the internet. It will also be a, an important skill for them to be a, a more um, a complex uh, analytical thinkers in general. Yeah, I, I think that uh, th that's one of the most important things that, that we can give our uh, young uh, kids. And uh, it's also important because they get exposed to so much information. Their ability to create an integration with all the things happening around is extremely important. Mm -hmm. So uh, autonomy uh, cannot uh, exist without critical thinking. Okay, so if we're thinking of um, the Internet as being part of not the whole of, but part of uh, our life. Um, the kind of things that we're talking about are we want the internet to be part of social relationships, but not all. We still want real relationships. Another area that I was thinking of is that, um, you know, we read a lot of material on the internet and we want it to be part of our um, overall consumption of, uh, of text. Because I think one of the things that I'm lamenting is that. Uh, people no longer uh, really read or, or, or as they used to, you know, take a book and, and, and luxuriate 
uh, in it. Enter the you know the the, the world of uh, uh, George Orwell, or enter the world of uh, George Eliot or, or Shakespeare, and. Um, and, and, and that's unfortunate, and I think it's not having a good effect on, uh, on our children in terms of uh, cultivating imagination. Yeah. Uh, what is the, one of the things that is lost in the culture that uh, promotes efficiency is the ability to be uh, present in the here and now. And what you're saying is actually one example. People don't read anymore. They scheme. They, 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 they don't have the time to actually live the experience. You know, when you, when you uh, read a book properly and suddenly a wor the words become a train and, and become, uh, you know, an, an environment, this is something that is amazing. And now a lot of kids, they don't actually get into this experience because they, they don't have the time. I think that one of the challenges that we have is that we, create, uh, we created this answer to this need to be efficient, time is money, by using multitasking. And when you do multitasking, you, you live in this illusion that you, are, you can be in a million different places at the same time. But if you analyze it, you are nowhere. You're, you, you, you're, not, you're not here, you're not there. And, and you can't actually get your, your well-being because your well-being is all about having positive experiences where you dive into it, where you forget about the watch, where you're totally there, the, the here and now. And uh, being able to read properly is, is, is only happening when, you, when you're present. And, and this is, again, one of the challenges that we have mm. is to, to point out that multitasking doesn't work. Mm. Or it can work till you know at a certain level. Our yes. brain again in moderation. Uh, yes, exactly. And uh, and and uh, and young people, especially, I mean, when you watch them now, they try to do a million things, and uh, it doesn't really work. And uh, we have the responsibility to to teach them that that to have a real experience. You have to be present. You mm. have to be there. And a good book. Nothing can change a new book. You know, you, we're talking about creativity and being able to, to create a new world and uh, everything. You need to, to read it. You have to be present. You have to enjoy it. You have to be mm -hmm. part of it. You can't read a good book and, and send an SMS and answer. It, it just doesn't work. Yair, isn't though this uh, bit of wishful thinking on our part? You know, we came from uh, the age where we still read and, and you know, got into uh, a book. And, and yes, there's certainly value to it, but the, the world is going in, in a different direction. Aren't we asking too much? Aren't we being unrealistic? I don't think so. I think we have a responsibility. But at the end of the day, everyone would choose whatever is good for them according to their un understanding. If we say that multitasking harms your ability to enjoy, to, to have a positive experience, uh, that's, that's what studies show. I mean, if you, if you read uh, Chigimi Ali uh, about the whole idea about flow, that, that uh, we only, that the things that, that remain with us, that we remember as positive experiences are actually these moments that we forgot about the watch, that we dived into this experience and we totally integrated to what we did. That's what actually gives uh, us the, 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 the well-being. So you can say, Nowadays, you don't need well-being. 
But but you, you can't because we have we, we it's it's like uh, an engine. You have to give uh, this this machine something to feed it with something because because we, we we feel this burnout. And what's the point to work if you don't enjoy anything you're doing? I mean, you're becoming a, a, a nothing. It, it's it's uh, it's a real it's a real problem because what what is happening? What we are seeing is happening is that because people sit down, whether it's in front of a computer or even in meetings uh, most of their day, and they're not exercising, so they're less happy. Um, they're having less real relationship because they are having virtual relationships, um, and they're not really focusing on something because they're constantly multitasking. And these three things: the inability to focus, no real relationships, and no physical activity. I mean, these three things are sure prescriptions to unhappiness. Absolutely, but, but it's not only the, the, the fact that people are not happy, it's also that when you measure it uh, uh, using you know, the industrial measurements, efficiency, at the end of the day you discover that these people are not efficient anymore. Because when they experience mm. burnout, after you know, uh, a year or two, they, they can't actually produce anything original. I mean, we know that uh, Volkswagen is now, they have a new policy that you don't send uh, emails after a certain time. Why? Because they realize that at the end of the day, this is not giving good results. So it's not, there's no real contradiction between our happiness and productivity. Yeah. It's actually only the illusion of productivity, of efficiency. But when a person is, 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 is continuing this wrong path, at the end of the day, it, it's not going to work. Yeah, so, so that's great. You know, there's a lot of research by uh, Sonia Lubomirsky, Ed Dinner, and others showing how increasing levels of well-being actually increases our productivity, our motivation, our, improves our relationships, as well as, of course, our physical health. So what you're pointing to is the win-win. So if we make these changes, you know, for our kids, we make them first and foremost for ourselves because we want to lead by example. Um, yes, we'll be happier and will be uh, more successful, more efficient, uh, better, uh, better employees, better students. Absolutely. I, I tell uh, parents that there are parents 24 hours a day and kids are actually observing their, uh, your behavior all the time. It's not only when you say, now I'm your father, I'll give you some educational message. So try to be an example. I mean, you're getting a, a telephone call now, you're talking with your son. I mean, think about it. In the minute that you answer this phone, you're giving your, your son a message. The message is, this telephone call is more important than mm -hmm. me. And this is something that can destroy a relationship. Now, if you have credit and you only do it when it's extremely important, then your son will understand. But if that's actually what's happening all the time, you are setting here an example. Don't be surprised if he will ignore you tomorrow. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think that's a, it's, a, it's a very, very powerful example. Uh, I see it more and more today uh, around dinner tables when people are actually texting uh, or, or answering, answering phones. And then you see it also when kids interact with one another. They're not really, really interacting. So even when they're not in front of their computer at home alone, but they are with friends, they're not really with their friends. So, so you know, in the words of Gandhi, be the change you want to see in the world. Many of these kids, when we go to them and, and suggest to them they sh that they should spend less time uh, online, that it will actually make them happier um, to cut their screen time, they'll disagree. They'll say, no, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. I love being on uh, Facebook uh, or WhatsApp with my friends. Yeah. 
I think it's uh, what, what I call normative addiction. We see it in, or not only with kids, we see it also with adults. When you look around and you see everyone all the time online, you think that that's normal. That's uh, when you get people answering their, you know, their, their Facebook messages while they're driving and the theater, they can't enjoy anything. But getting back to kids, uh, kids uh, have the, this need to behave like everyone. Uh, but if you ask them, if you do uh, clinical interviews and you, you, you take the time, you discover that they have to uh, demonstrate, they have to prove all the time that they are worthy. They put a post uh, on Facebook and they have to check immediately what's happening there because if they don't get enough like, it, it's like it's a, it's a total disaster. They will have to take this post off. And they all the time feel that they are challenged by their friend, by this competition. They are all happy. I'm not uh, happy enough. I have to provide more photos. We, we know that we have less empathy. We know that, uh, that uh, young people report uh, more on loneliness. And this is despite this image that we live in a very happy world. The real results don't actually uh, prove it. They, yeah. they, they show the total opposite. Yes, and you know, I must say I see it also uh, at home that initially when we do get them off um, the, the screen, initially they, they're unhappy about it, but very quickly, within minutes, they're already absorbed, whether it's reading a book, whether it's in a conversation, uh, in one of those real uh, authentic experiences. So, Yair, what do you do to increase your levels of happiness? Uh, I do several things. Uh, first of all, I try to stop for uh, you know for a few minutes and and relax and enjoy what I'm doing. I I try to challenge uh, the regular things that I uh, do uh, on a daily basis. For example, walking to the class, uh, I I want to notice uh, the birds, uh, the the grass, uh, the sun. Uh, try to, you know, to, to enjoy uh, what's happening around me. And uh, I, I, I work very hard when I'm with uh, my dear ones. When I am in a meeting, I want to give people this feeling that I'm actually with them. And when you are with them, there's nothing like it. I mean, it creates a totally different uh, process than, than, than having this kind of, of being with them and being with the whole world. So I try to invest in the dear ones, in the, in the people that I care about, and I have a lot of them, and I, I know that it's, it's working on both sides. I know that. Uh, so there are a lot of things that, that can be done, and, 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 and when you do, when you act according to proactivity, you feel that you build your own world. You're not a slave of technology. Mm -hmm. You can use it properly. And this is, I think, the key. It's to learn how to use technology properly. Technology can be wonderful. As we discussed, it can, uh, uh, it can bring people together. It can uh, encourage volunteering. It can even enhance uh, self-confidence, as long as we use it properly in moderation. Thank you very much, Yair. This has been fascinating. And I would like to end by encouraging our viewers on Happier TV Go out right now and spend some real quality time with your nears and dears. Thank you very much for watching.